Imagine learning in a small group intimate setting while exploring unique European locations. EU Vet CE Experiences offers race-approved CE seminars that combine half-day lectures with time to relax and discover captivating cultures. The CE sessions are delivered in English, allowing you to elevate your career while vacationing with loved ones. Experience the perfect blend of learning and luxury at EU Vet CE Experiences interactive seminars in hand-picked European destinations. Elevate your knowledge and recharge simultaneously. Visit euveterinaryce.com to learn more. And I think that's really important to avoid the compassion fatigue or the burnout is to make sure you give yourself some grace, number one, but also the stress management tools and maybe some variety. And it's not a failure to leave and to try something new. It's really good for us to do that, to get out of your comfort zone. That was Jolene Watson, the guest today here on the Vet Life Reimagined podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Megan Sprinkle, and here we meet with amazing veterinary professionals who have reimagined what vet life means for them. The possibilities for your career are endless. May you be encouraged and inspired. Today, you'll learn how Jolene went from veterinary technician to award-winning speaker, coach, and entrepreneur. She's amazing, and she left a lot of wisdom in this conversation. So here is Jolene Watson. So do you mind kind of just starting from the very beginning? Where did you grow up? Did you have siblings? What what was uh, little Jolene like? Absolutely. So my first word, and I still, it was documented in my baby book, it was kitty. And so from a very young age, we knew that my career was going to involve cats or veterinary in some regard. And we had cows and cats, like those were our two main animals. So I grew up loving animals and knowing that one day I wanted to work with cats only. I knew that from a very, very young age. And when I decided to go to vet tech school up in Saskatoon, up here in Canada, I absolutely loved it. I knew it was my passion. And once I graduated, there was no cat hospitals in the province that I live in, in Canada. And I remember thinking, well, that's fine. You know, I'll I'll try some other things. I was in a research facility at the university at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine. I worked in a few different clinics. And then I whispered to the veterinarian one day, I'm like, you know, wouldn't it be great if there was just a hospital for cats? And she also loved cats. And within, I think it was a year and a half, she had built the cat hospital of Saskatoon. And I came on board as the head veterinary technologist and the head dental hygienist. And it was truly a dream. So that's where I immediately went into veterinary as soon as I graduated, because I knew that that was my passion. So that's kind of where I started, grew up on a farm. So I really do like the agriculture side and our province is very heavy on the agriculture side. So I really, I'm really proud of my farm roots and the fact that I got to have my dream career right out of college was pretty spectacular. Yeah. So from that, there seems like there's so much in between. So what happened next? You, you, you planted this wonderful idea to help this veterinarian also sounds like pursue her dream of focusing on cats, which is a really big deal now. Um, So what happened after that? We were together at that clinic for about seven years. And during that time, she let me be a part of the human resource side of things like the firing, the hiring, the performance reviews. And that's where I really got interested in human psychology Mm -hmm. and how to motivate the teams and how to hire people that are correct for the roles. So the whole career counseling side of thing really fascinated me. 
And so I took tons of courses on communication, psychology, anything that I could get my hands on. And then she kind of promoted me into the business side as well. So that gave me that experience. After that, I decided to really hone up on my business skills. And I managed a potash company. And then I managed a human metabolomic research facility, which were out of the veterinary medicine side of things. But it really helped me with the corporate governance side, the business management side. And I always kept my vet tech up to date with the points and I'd still go to the conferences. And it wasn't until I was in the potash company that my boss had said to me, you know, you're really passionate about personality. He's like, I'm going to pay to get you your certification in Myers-Briggs. So that's the one I'm certified in. And when he laid me off, he said, you know, I really think you should go back to business school. And this was about a decade ago. And he goes, you should become a speaker. You're an extrovert. You love people. You love psychology. You should do Myers-Briggs as a living. You should become a teacher. And if it weren't for him saying that and seeing my potential, I never would have even considered entrepreneurship as a profession. And it was about two months later, I decided to go back to business school, which was an entrepreneurial business school up in Saskatoon. And it was a 10-month program. And I loved it so much that I decided I also wanted to teach there. And then I approached the head of the vet tech program and said, I should be teaching the vet tech students everything that I know about communication and stress management and customer service based on my 20 years of experience. And throughout all of that, I still dabbled in the veterinary profession. I had volunteer at vet clinics. If a vet needed my help, I actually worked a couple of days a week as a vet tech and a veterinary office assistant. So that really helped me with the front end of the veterinary practice, which was amazing on the customer service side of things. So it's been 10 years now that I've been in business and I teach at four different business schools now, which again, veterinary is just a piece of my business. It's not all of it. I work with all industries now and throughout the pandemic, stress management has been my number one selling workshop prior to that communication skills, networking etiquette, body language. That was really where I was heading and speaking at conferences, but the pandemic kind of changed my focus as, as it was needed. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that is life, right? Um, Is that as time changes, the, our culture, our environment is going to shift and people need different things. And something I watched in one of the videos I I watched of yours is you talked about this when it comes to careers as well. And that, you know, as you move along through life, you may have other things that interest you, or, you know, maybe just along with the, the, you know, world situation, you may be more interested in something else. So um, is, can you kind of see that in your own career? Is that you kind of speak from experience? You sound like you like to do a lot of different things. <laughs> <laughs> My personality type, if you know, if you've done Myers-Briggs, there's four different areas, extrovert yes. or introvert. Obviously I'm an extrovert. It's the intuitive versus sensing, which is how we gather information and what mm-hmm. we trust. I'm very big picture. And I love variety. So it makes sense that I do multiple things within my careers to keep myself interested. I couldn't do the same thing every day, eight to five. That's just not in my personality. And I'm also a feeler, which means high empathy. I really care and I want to help. So it makes sense the career track that I've taken. I also used to be naturally very planful. 
but becoming an entrepreneur in 10 years and you're juggling, you, you know, you're just making things up as you go and it's so exciting, but it's so spontaneous. So I've really had to adjust some of my behaviors and practice new skill sets and get out of my comfort zone, which is stressful to a point, but it's also really exciting to know that you can always change your behaviors to get to wherever you need to go. And another thing that I do, I do a lot of things is goal setting using vision boards. And that's something I've done since I was in my early 20s in terms of, you know, five, 10 years from now, what do I see? Where do I want to be? And I remember in 2004, I was still a vet tech and I didn't even think about leaving that career ever, but I saw a suit jacket. And I remember I put that on one of my vision boards and I thought, you know, I don't know where this belongs or how many years in the future this is going to be, but I I see myself on a stage wearing a suit jacket and it's very interesting because I didn't pursue it at that time, but I was open to the possibility. And I think that's the key. I was in Vermilion yesterday, a different province. I drove out there to speak to the vet tech students and the veterinary medical assistant students. And one of the main focuses was you don't have to do large, small or mixed. You can become a beekeeper. You can have your own pet sitting business. You can become a speaker or 25 years from now, when you actually have the experience, you could become a teacher and inspire other students. So there's so many career trajectories. I came up with 60 just by doing a little bit of research in the veterinary field for any level of the profession, right? It could be the front end up to veterinarian. And I think that's really important to avoid the compassion fatigue or the burnout is to make sure you give yourself some grace, number one, but also the stress management tools and maybe some variety. And it's not a failure to leave and to try something new. It's really good for us to do that, to get out of your comfort zone. Oh, we are so aligned. I'm so, <laughs> you're making me so excited. So when you come across, and I do this, I do as well, a lot of people in our profession, they get to a point, this is one of the big reasons for the podcast, is that they get to a point where the path is less clear, right? So for a veterinarian, it's okay. I had high school, college vet school. Now I'm in clinics. Now what? And they get to this point where they feel a little stuck. Um, you know, we've got lots of issues with burnout. So how do you instruct someone, like, where do they start to even consider what is next? What do I, what's best for me next? I think to start with the stress management side of things, especially in veterinary medicine, I mean, we have one of the highest suicide rates in the world now, females in particular, and mental health is a really big focus that they're starting to really pump up in veterinary school before veterinarians actually graduate. And they're training them more so on the business side now and the human resources side, because before you have these veterinarians who are brilliant and all of a sudden they have to fire people. They have to deal with all the finances. They have to run the business. And I think it's changing and there's, you know, more office managers in place and the vet techs have more responsibilities now, which take the weight off the veterinarian and it keeps going down the line. So it's to make sure you give yourself space know your triggers, know how to get back to balance. And with Myers-Briggs, this is really interesting. There's actually 16 different personality reports specific to stress management in one of the courses that I offer that give different strategies for each person because each person is so different in their preferences and what's their trigger and how to get back to balance. So that's something that I really focus on in the veterinary world Mm -hmm. because if you know your triggers you know how to deal with the mental health side of things, you're more likely to stay in the profession longer and to give yourself those breaks. In terms of changing careers, I've coached a lot of people on changing careers or perhaps 
you know, a vet tech becoming a veterinarian because it's a logical next step. The question I asked myself, would this matter in five years? Would I regret this in five years if I didn't try? And that changed everything. I didn't want to become an entrepreneur. I mean, you don't know when your next paycheck's going to be. It's total chaos. It's total disorganization in the first five years. It's really stressful, but it's the most challenging and rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. I would never regret it. But had I not asked myself that question in the very beginning, I wouldn't have tried it. And if you try it and don't like it, it's not a failure. You've learned new skill sets. And that's how, you know, when I managed the potash company, I didn't prefer potash. It wasn't a passion of mine, but I gained skill sets in business management, which I can now use as an entrepreneur. When I managed the human metabolomic research facility, which again, had nothing to do with veterinary, but they taught me how to better network and they let me go to all of the events. And I really pumped up my business card etiquette and networking skills. And then I designed a course in it a few years later to teach other people how to do that. And I remember 20 years ago when I was working at the first vet clinic, not the cat only one, I begged my bosses for business cards. And I remember they said to me, they're like, we don't do that in this industry. Like I don't, you don't need business cards. You're just a vet tech basically was what they had said. And I remember I was like, yeah, but I think I can get us more clients. I can go connect with the community. I can attend the Chamber of Commerce events. And I was so excited and they shot me down and I quit my job. That was one of the main reasons because they didn't see the potential that I had for creating connections. And when I went to the cat hospital, she immediately bought me business cards and said, do you want it to say office manager? Do you want it to say head vet tech? What do you want? Because she saw the value. And I think in leadership, if you see those sparks in your employees, you see the areas they want to focus on, they will be loyal. I know right now it's called the great resignation. There's a lot of jobs for vets, vet techs, veterinary office, all of it. But if you find somewhere that truly values you, they've done a lot of research on this. Career development has doubled in importance during the pandemic. This is how we keep our team members is see their strengths. Yes, it's going to cost a little bit of money. You might need to pay for some courses so they can better become an expert. But that's where your loyalty is created to see the strengths and to really harbor that. And I've had so many great bosses over the years that have done that. And now I get to train new leaders in all industries on how to recognize that in their teams. And I think that's the way we should be leading, not necessarily, here's your job description, just do it. What do you actually like? And what are your strengths naturally? And let's, let's play around with that and maybe delegate some of those pieces out that you don't like. And that's something that isn't done often in veterinary, but I think it's getting, it's getting better. What do you think are some of the biggest hurdles for this industry to start listening and helping our people develop? I think it starts at leadership, but whenever I do workshops, I always put pressure back on the teams because we often think our leaders should read our minds and they should give us everything we want and the raises and the courses. But if you're not providing value, as a team member, if you're not bringing in income, how is this industry going to be able to afford to get you what you need? So I always say, prove your value. You know, maybe you're upselling food that you believe in. Maybe for me, I was going out to events and telling people about our vet clinic and they would start coming. So there's little things that I would do before I ever asked to have that course. And I remember with Dr. Stocking, I had asked her, I love dentistry. I really love dentistry. And I said to her, this was a year after I started working there because I wanted to prove my value and my loyalty. 
And she really respected me and we had a mutual respect. And I said, I know it's going to cost money, but I really want to pump up my dentistry skills and I want to get better. And I want to become the head dentist of this clinic. And she looked at me and said, absolutely anything you want. You were so loyal. I will put money into you because I know that it's going to pay off for our clinic as well. And she, we had a veterinary dentist from Vancouver that came and helped train me so that I could really be an expert. And that increased my loyalty about, by about 150%. You know, at that point, if somebody came in at six o'clock, of course I was going to stay late. Of course I would be on call because she truly saw value. So what I was saying with that is a leader cannot recognize that unless you speak up. And the veterinary profession is, has a, an extremely high population of introverts. And introverts tend to not always speak up, right? They gain energy by being with one or two people and they don't always say what they need. And if you say what you want, you're more likely to get it because otherwise nobody's going to know what you want. When I said I want there to be a cat hospital, when I managed that human metabolomic research facility, I said to my friend, I want to prevent disease through lifestyle and diet change. It was such a random statement. Two weeks later, she said, I know a scientist who works at this company and they're looking for an office manager and they do exactly what you said. And I remember I said, but I made that up. She said, I know. I know, but I found your job and I got the job. And was I qualified? No, but did I rock that interview and say that I was willing to learn? And based on my personality, I got the job. Yes. Women in particular, and this is not shocking, but there's, there's research behind this, are less likely to apply for jobs unless they're 90% qualified based on the job description. Men, 40, 50, they'll apply anyways. They'll always put their name in the hat. So they tend to get more jobs. And the really great jobs. So I always push women to say, you know what? Those are wish lists, those job descriptions. And if you're willing to learn and you have the right attitude, get, go for the interview. You never know where that's going to take you and the path. And don't worry if it's not forever, right? You're going to get a new skill set and then you can move on. It's never a failure. And that's how I always have looked at my life. And I've set up my company strategically. I teach it for schools but that's just a piece. I do corporate team building. And then I also speak at conferences. I also do goal setting. And for fun, I'm taking a 30 hour course right now on body language because it fascinates me and emotional literacy. So two courses, and I can make new courses up and add those into what I offer my clients. So entrepreneurship, if somebody is considering it, it's a lot of work, a lot of 16 hour days. It's 100% worth it. If you're thinking of changing your career, I get it. Don't let your certification go ever because you never know when you're going to get back into the veterinary world, keep up your points, keep going to the conferences. You never know when an opportunity is going to arrive that is perfect because I get burnout and I get the difference between burnout and compassion fatigue. And we really need to manage the mental health side to make sure that we're protecting ourselves as well. Yeah. Do you mind elaborating on that point? You said, you know, the difference between burnout and compassion fatigue. Can you say more? Yes. So I, I mentioned I am a registered veterinary technologist, but I work in all industries. And just last Monday, I worked for a group of 25 auditors for the government. So very financial based, almost all introverts, very analytical and logical. They do not get compassion fatigue in their line of work and they never will. They get burnout. And how you solve burnout is generally you find a new job. Now, compassion fatigue, I actually call it empathy fatigue because empathy is when you're taking on the emotions of others. 
and it's really hard on you. And that's where you take it home. And that's where it really starts to wear you down. Compassion. And I just took an emotional literacy course. Compassion actually means that you're giving the gift of your time, but you're keeping your emotional center separate. So compassion is actually a really healthy emotion. Empathy can be dangerous because you give too much. And then it's a level of burnout where you usually quit the industry in its entirety and you do not go back. Whereas burnout, you just get a new job and it usually solves it fairly quickly. And trauma, you know, seeing trauma on a daily basis, that's something that's very common in human health, but also the veterinary side of things. And there's certain industries that never sees that side of things. So we have a little bit more stress in that sense. We would like to thank our sponsor, VetBadger, the all-in-one practice management software that puts relationships first. Created by working veterinary parents, VetBadger provides all the communication, team workflow, and medical management tools you need to run an efficient practice and get home to the relationships that matter most. In support of parents in VetMed, VetBadger will be offering a signed copy of the book, Pregnancy and Postpartum Considerations for the Veterinary Team by Emily Singler to everyone who registers for a demo between Mother's Day, May 12th, and Father's Day, June 16th. To register, visit vetbadger.com and find the link in the description below. So taking stress and going back to the personality type, because I am fascinated and I don't know if I've heard a lot of people talk about understanding your personality type and using that to figure out how to best handle stress and I think change management. So it, it sounds like is the majority or, or what would be the, the biggest population in veterinary medicine? Like what's the most common personality type, which we know everybody's going to be individual. We're going to have it all, <laughs> but what, what is the majority and what are some um, pieces of advice that you would give that personality type when it comes to managing stress? One of the two of the most common types out of the 16 types is ISFJ and INFJ. So they're both introverts. One is detail oriented. One is big picture. And what I find in veterinary medicine is the detail oriented people tend to really gravitate towards emergency medicine because they're really good with details under pressure. Whereas the intuitives, they're more interested in the behavior, the psychology, the what could be. So you see different niches within that area alone. Most small animal veterinarians are feelers. So very empathetic, value-based, whereas large animal, you see a lot more thinkers, which are more logical, analytical. So there is a difference with that one. And the last letter, planful or spontaneous, that one is, you know, it doesn't matter that much in the veterinary profession, but there are more planful type people, which often leads to perfectionism, right? So you have, you have an interesting combination there. Now, when you're stressed out, what happens, it's called in the grip in Myers-Briggs terminology, and it's your natural personality type is your strength. It brings you energy. It shows you your career niche. It's amazing. When we flip our type in, in the grip, AKA, we actually, the areas of personality that we've avoided our whole life that are not part of our natural personality will come to the surface, kind of like Jekyll and Hyde. So introverts will get loud. Extroverts will become introverted and shut off the world, maybe even shut their phones off. Feelers who are normally very compassionate and value-based will become a little bit passive aggressive at times, even mean, right? And they will shut down. Whereas your thinkers who are very logical might become very emotional. So the feeling side will come to the surface. And the really cool thing about that is if you practice behaviors 
in all eight of those personality preference areas, you're creating new neuron connections in your brain. You're creating new habits. Your stress responses are going to be muted. They're not going to be as exaggerated as they once were. So this is something we can temper as we get older and become a lot more calm and not take things so personally. And that is something intent versus perception is something I talk about all the time. We must know that most people have great intent, but we might perceive them quite differently. And this is one of the main causes of conflict and misunderstandings. But if you take a step back, effectively listen and try to figure out how that person's brain is processing information, effective communication is so much more easy at that point. So that's my life's passion is to help people not just realize their strengths, but to really understand when they flip their type, how to get back to balance quickly, chronic or acute stress. I cover both and they're a little bit different, but during the pandemic, I have studied it. I have taken mental health first aid courses, four of them to add into the change management course and the stress management course I already have. I'm always trying to up my skill set to better help my clients And for people of certain personality types, they need to grow and they need to learn to feel valued and to feel excited. And this is something from a leadership perspective, you must know about your employees. What do they need and want to feel valued and safe? I I picked that up when I was looking through your material around appreciation styles as well. Yeah. So is that fitting in with what you're talking about? Personality is different from appreciation, which is different from learning styles, but they're all just as important as each other. Now, appreciation in the workplace, that might be words of affirmation for one person. Another person might be quality time. The other person might prefer if you buy them a coffee or their favorite tea if they're having a bad day. So perhaps a gift. You need to know this where you don't have to, but you should know this about your team members. You know, if it's somebody's birthday and you buy them a cake, Are they gluten intolerant? Like how deeply do you know your team members? And this is where in veterinary medicine, you're going to laugh. I have two different business cards. One says registered vet tech. One does not because I work in all industries. The one that says vet tech does not say networking skills because it is a word that is avoided in veterinary medicine. So I changed it to customer service, but it's actually the same course. But I had to change the wording because veterinary professionals seem to be averse to it. But it's a part of our lives. If you're not connecting with your clients and understanding what their values are and who they are as people outside of what's going on with their pet, you're not going to connect with them and you're not going to gain that loyalty from a customer service perspective. So it's one of my passions as well to really get into the veterinary conferences across the world, North America starting, and to really help them understand that creating those bonds and connections with your clients is just as important as creating them with the animals. Yes, you have helped me because I really love networking. But every time I about to say that word, I'm I'm like, uh. <laughs> and so I actually like the term connecting skills or you know like connecting because that's what we're doing, uh, yeah. you know, under connecting and bonding with other human beings. So I love yes. that point of view. Yes, <laughs> and I always use my dentist as an example of loyalty, customer service, and conversation starters. I've known him for years. I profiled him. I know his type. We've become great friends. And one day he was cleaning my, or he was like doing whatever his dentistry. And I said, you know, what's the most random pet you've ever owned, Norm? Like, tell me. And he started laughing and he said, have I never told you about Bert? And I, I said, no, well, who's Bert? And he goes, well, it's my pet Buffalo. And he lives in my yard and he chases cars and he's super cuddly and he's like a dog and he begs for food. You know, when we're eating supper, you can see him come up on the deck and he's just the cuddliest Buffalo. And 
what that taught me about my dentist was that his level of compassion and kindness was deeper than I ever thought possible. Like I already thought it after I found out that random fact, I referred him twice as often. I moved to a different city. I drive two and a half hours to go to my dentist. Customer service and loyalty matter. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter where your vet clinic is situated. If you create that loyalty, people will drive anywhere because of the customer service experience. And I think sometimes we forget that side of veterinary medicine because we get so focused on the surgery or doing a great job on the veterinary side, which is important, but it's the people that bring in the credit cards, right? We really have to change our focus to front end and not just the reception staff or the front end or the veterinary office assistants. Everyone should be creating those bonds finding out who that client is, what are their values, because that is where you get your word of mouth referrals. This is how we start to expand our clientele. And yes, we kind of have an advantage right now. The students do for sure. They can choose wherever they want to work, but I'm like, that's fine. Do some bartering for sure. Right. When when you're starting, ask for what you want, but make sure it's what you want in terms of the staff you're going to be working with the niche within that clinic do your research, spend a lot of time talking to people that work there who have worked there. It could be a feedlot, doesn't have to be a clinic, right? But this is so important in choosing your trajectory is to make sure it's what you want before jumping straight in. Yeah. And the environment that you will be in every single day is one of the most important things to be looking for when you are looking for any job clinic industry, anything. So absolutely. And I'm really curious what have you observed as some of the biggest changes through this pandemic? Because I mean, we're going through a lot of different changes in our culture, just the ways of working. What are some of the biggest things that you've noticed? This whole hybrid world is actually not a bad thing in veterinary medicine in terms of there's so many introverts. I've worked with a lot of vet clinics recently, and they said, this is You know, yes, finding the car in the parking lot to take the food out too is really difficult when there's eight white SUVs, right? Like when when nobody was allowed in the clinics during the pandemic and euthanasias, it was sometimes they would allow the owners in, but usually they would go to the car, get the pet, bring the pet back to the car. There was no human contact. They were not allowed in, which was a huge disconnect. But at the same time, these introverts were thriving, right? They're like, this is great. We just get to bring the pet. We could talk to the owner on the phone and we get to do our jobs. I think there's going to be a hybrid going forward based on people's comfort level and telemedicine. There's an amazing veterinarian up in Saskatoon, and she was talking about telemedicine way before the pandemic even happened because she said it's going to happen where people are going to want to call in on Zoom and we're going to be able to do some of this without seeing the pet. And she was right. And the pandemic really brought that to fruition. And office management, sometimes you might be able to work from home partly and maybe in the clinic a couple of days a week. So I think it's a good thing with university as well. Some classes can be online forever. You know, I teach the vet tech class online and now we can have people from across the province and they don't all have to be in the same room. So we've expanded the students that can join that program. So I think there's a lot of great things to come out of the pandemic in terms of learning and seeing clients, but the human connection, I mean, I'm studying body language. If you're in person to watch the full body, even the feet placement, so important. If you're really good at reading people, this can tell you a lot of cues with your clients and how you want to explain something to a client. You want to know personality type because if that person is detail oriented or not, and you're using that wrong approach, they're not going to get on board. Another great psychology tip is give three options. 
Most people choose the middle ground. That goes for any industry. It could be buying a car. You'll choose the middle one. But if you just say, this is the surgery that needs to be done, here's the price point, that's it. People feel, they feel boxed in. They feel like they have no choices. So to really understand the psychology perspective of customer service will up your game. It'll make life easier and it'll make the clients feel much more important and understood. So what do you think is the best skill to work on right now? If you were speaking to the veterinary profession and they said, you know, my, I can work on one skill this year, what would be one of the best skills you would recommend? I would say the people side of things and really understanding that when somebody, when you have a client that's aggressive or you have a client that's having a really bad day, not to judge too harshly, but to really understand it from a per- perception and intent point of view, because once you understand that, you can absolutely have a great connection with that client. You can calm them much more quickly. So it's the whole psychology of communication, I think is really important in veterinary medicine. And then secondary to that would be speaking up and asking for what you want because your leader is very busy and they cannot read your mind. So the confidence to be able to do that might not be in the budget this year, but if you don't ask, you're never going to get it. And I think that's, it's on us. It's not on our leaders. I've always been very bold and very confident in asking for what I want. Did I always get it? No. Did I move on sometimes? Yes. And I'm really proud that I did that because if it wasn't the right fit for me, I'm going to find the right fit or Most people grow every five to seven years and change their viewpoints or values drastically. Maybe that's no longer a fit for you. And that's not a failure. I thought I was a failure when I left veterinary medicine back in 2008, because that was my dream career. And Dr. Stocking moved to the Caribbean and I decided to stay. I don't know why I decided to stay, but I decided to stay in the, in our snow-filled province. (laughs) And, and I was like, you know, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And I felt really down about it for a while, but then I remembered, you know, I'm not leaving the industry. I'm keeping up my credentials. I'm getting more skill sets in different industries so that I can better decide where I want to go. But you don't have to know everything at once. So I think just to open up your mind to possibilities, and it might be a 10-year goal, but if you have something that you're going towards, it really helps those stressful days be less stressful. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I don't know why you didn't go to the Caribbean too. I mean, that's where I would have gone. (laughs) I know, right? Canada is wonderful. All right. Well, um, we are starting to run out of time. Um, I, oh, this is a good question. I did want to ask this one. I think it fits in very well with what we've talked about. And for me, um, you're talking about it's very common for a person to really grow and your um, interest, maybe even your values might change every five to seven years. And I thought this was a unique finding. So your personality type. So I found my Myers-Briggs results and I'm going through and it's such a wonderful reminder to go through your results and kind of be reminded, oh yeah, that's why I do that. (laughs) And so is there a way that we can keep um, asking these questions, keep refreshing ourselves on our personalities and um, kind of routinely? So we're very in tune with us kind of along the way. So when things arise, we can be more in tune with who we are and make better decisions when, when we're presented with them. Yes. What I do for myself and it does cost money, but it's worth it to me. It's like a performance review on myself. Every year I pay to redo my questionnaire and it actually breaks out the 20 behaviors within the 16 personality types. So every year my behaviors shift and they change. 
and I choose what behaviors I want to work on and then I track it. So it always keeps it top of mind to say, well, oh yeah, I was going to work on compassion as opposed to empathy. So what are some things that I can do? And I actually, this course that I'm taking on emotional literacy, there's certain emotions that are related to behavioral development and I have them in front of me. When I work with corporations, their veterinary clinics, I say, bring it up every staff meeting. All right, introverts, now extroverts. What about, and then make sure you use that terminology on a consistent basis, because the more you say it, the more your brain's going to remember it, the repetition, right? And taking notes, writing down goals, paper to pen ups your retention rate by 75% or journaling. There's a lot of things we can do on the goal setting side to remind us what we're going towards. I have five vision boards in front of me right now. That's another really good way to remind yourself of what you're going towards is to have a photo. Most adults are visual to have a screensaver or an actual photo of what you would like to do. Maybe it's a vacation that's coming up that you're working overtime right now, but you know that there's going to be a break. Little things like that can really help calm you in those moments of, of great stress or when you don't get your coffee breaks, right? Because you know what you're working towards and to remind yourself why you got into veterinary medicine in the first place. I love the visual reminders and I, I love the idea of vision boards. And I think that would actually be a really fun team activity is yes. to work on vision boards together and then even have them. I know it's, it's a personal thing, but with the knowledge that they'll be posted in the, in the clinic or in the office somewhere. Um, I think that's kind of neat too, because it's a constant reminder. And I think it helps you get to know your team better as well oh, and yes. support each other and give us reminders. Sometimes we need the, you know, <laughs> the team member nudge to help us remind ourselves what our values are and what we're working on to get better every single day. So I love that. Do you, you are outside of work, right? Cause that's just yeah, as important. Exactly. Now, do you do a, a physical vision board or do you have a, a digital one you would recommend? What's your preference? Oh, if you do digital canva.com is free. So you can actually upload your own photos and Google them, upload them. And it's super simple to make a screensaver very quickly. I do a two hour workshop online for that, but I also do a three hour workshop in person where I actually have 250 magazines in my basement right now that I haul <laughs> into these workshops and I have bins of crafting supplies and all of it. And I get their big boards. I have little ones too, but most people choose the big ones because if you look at it on a continual basis, it activates the reticular activating system in your brain. And then you mm -hmm. start programming your brain to find what you're looking towards and to be solution mindset oriented. So there's a lot of science that goes behind it. It seems like it's arts and crafts for adults. And I get that and it is, but it works because of how our brains remember most adults are visual. So use it to your advantage. Oh, I love that. Oh. All right. So I'm going to do some rapid fire questions to end our, our conversation together. Um, I love this question. If you could create a rule or a law that everyone had to follow, what would you create? That if they saw a stray cat, that they had to take it in, tame it, take it to a veterinarian and find it a loving home, that it was actually the law so that we had no more stray cats because it breaks my heart to think that a cat doesn't have a loving home. So that would be a law that I would put into place. I mean, any animal, but particularly I want to create a cat cafe for older unadoptable cats so that they can get the second chance. <laughs> oh, I love it. That is so funny. So I just did another uh, podcast episode yesterday and his law <laughs> was that everybody needs to have a cat in their life at least once. <laughs> I love it. I was like, oh, that's so true. Oh, teaches us a lot about life. 
All right. Um, what is a favorite way you like to spend a non-work day? I have three cats and my newest cat, he's about, he's been with us for two years and he has tons of medical problems, but he is the most grateful, kind cat. So just cuddling with them on the couch, watching movies with my fiance, but always having all three cats around me. We know that when a cat purrs, it emits a frequency that will heal the human body. And it's just so relaxing. So spending time with my cats. Now I'm addicted to professional development. It is an addiction. So I have about eight courses I've already purchased that are sitting waiting. So I get excited about it. It's, it's not downtime, but it kind of is because I'm growing and learning. I don't read fiction. I only read self-help because I can always get better. Yes. Oh my goodness. We are very much alike in that, which is probably why we met in people school. (laughs) That is uh, one of Vanessa Van Edwards courses and which is fabulous. I know you just started and I've, I've gone through it and you will, you will love it. Especially if you like body language. Sorry. What was your personality type? I didn't ask you that. Oh, Myers-Briggs. Yeah. Okay. It is ISFJ, which is one of the average veterinarian. (laughs) That's why I smiled funny when you said the most common types. Although the interesting thing, um, if you, if someone has not taken the Myers-Briggs in a long time, you definitely need to retake it and take the one that really breaks each one down and shows you the, the range of all of these letters. Cause I was looking back through that because, uh, even though I am ISFJ, I am not clear in any of them. I am actually half of them. I'm just slight. And then the others I'm moderate. And so when you are able to kind of see the range, that's why, you know, it's so interesting to understand yourself. It's, it's not putting you in a box. It's, it's really bringing it down and trying to understand how you think, how you work, what's motivating to you, what kind of lifestyle is better for you. Do you like the spontaneous lifestyle or do you like the more structured? I know what's coming, um, kind of work. And that's important to know, as you were saying earlier in the type of career path, that you want to seek. So, yep. So that's me. (laughs) I'll have to send you my results and see what you think. (laughs) Please do. It makes sense that you're on the nutrition side of things too, because that is a very detailed and very important niche of veterinary medicine. And I didn't mention, but I did work with Royal Cannon promoting dental diet, only dental diet, because it was my niche within the veterinary world. And so I was able to create a part-time job just focusing on dentistry. So again, you never know, you might create a job that doesn't exist. Exactly. Well, and that's what they're saying these days is that there are so many jobs that will exist in five years that do not exist today. So I love that. I think that's exciting that there's so much opportunity for us to be creative and actually design what we want to do. So that's, I think it's never been a better time to start thinking about what you want to do with your life and what work looks like for you. And with the nutrition side, you're changing lives, right? If you have the animal on the proper food, you're going to prevent those diseases. You're going to create this amazing lifestyle for that person and that pet. Like I'm passionate about nutrition as well. My friend's actually a rep for Royal Cannon. So she's always teaching me new things and I'm taking the courses and it's just, yeah, it's an amazing niche within, in our world. It is. I'm going to try not to start talking about nutrition because I'll have you here for another hour. (laughs) All right. Um, So what are you most looking forward to in the future? My goal in the next five years is to write two books. I'm going to create online courses 
And I'm going to really kick up the public speaking now that the pandemic is calming. I'm already booked in Banff, which is super exciting. I was supposed to go to Paris, France. There was an opportunity for veterinary at a conference, but then COVID happened and I cannot wait. I'm going to up my business to about 70% speaking to be, in, be on a stage all across the world. That's really where I see myself in five years. Yes, I'll still do all the other things, but I really want to pump up the speaking because that's where I get the most energy and I get most elated and invigorated. So I've got a lot in my mind about what I want, but the writing a book, creating online courses and pumping up the speaking again, now that the pandemic is calming are three of the main things. Well, if I can help with that, I will be glad to help you get on more stages for sure. Especially in the States because the oceans I love. I've been to LA, California. It was the most amazing week of my life and I cannot wait to go back and I want to experience more, more of the States. So yeah. We'll we'll have to get you on the East coast. I'm a Southeast girl. So, oh, (laughs) love the ocean. Yes. Any ocean. I just love the ocean because I'm right in the, I love Saskatchewan. It's very agriculture farming. We're nowhere near water. (laughs) Yep. Midwest right now. (laughs) Yes. Yes, that is where I am. All right. Last question is what is one thing you are deeply grateful for? I am so grateful for having the opportunity to provide a home for this cat. Now in the veterinary world, I just spoke yesterday to all these vet techs, right? And the amount of love and gratitude from a cat that has had a traumatic past and now they're in a loving home, the way that they look at you, Mm -hmm. there's nothing that brings me a feeling of gratitude more than that. And I just, I I know anyone in the veterinary world will understand where I'm going with this, but I have never had that connection with a cat until Bosco, my newest uh, addition to our family. And that's really what led me into wanting to create a cat cafe for older cats only. So that's, that's my retirement plan. That's not five years, maybe that's 10, but you know, set your goals, set them big. You never know how you're going to get them, but if you don't set them, they're not going to come to fruition. Well, mic drop moment. That is the perfect place to end. You've been listening to the Vet Life Reimagined podcast a sprinkle of wisdom production. If you know someone who would appreciate this conversation, please share it with them. Another way to support the podcast is to rate and review it on your favorite listening platform. There's also a YouTube version of this podcast. So if you want to check it out, it is the Vet Life Reimagined YouTube channel. So you can go over and find it there. And I also want to thank everyone who has been part of my own veterinary life. Thank you for being on the journey with me.